Just a quick announcement at the top of the show. Movies is going to be recorded and released twice a week, every week, from this point going forward. Head on over to patreon.com slash so you don't miss a single episode, and you'll also be able to get exclusive access to series like After Dark, niche influential films of the 20th century, where each month I am going to be covering an underrated or overlooked film from the 20th century that had a lasting cultural impact that maybe isn't even noticed today. There's also Glue Addict, a reality television program starring myself and Hans, and also Jake and Jerry from Civic TV, and Kenny, America's favorite, from Comfort Systems, our sketch comedy series. Go on over there again, patreon.com slash lowres, the $5 and up level. You're going to get a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm probably going to give you a little bit of insight on the making of our feature film that we've been working on for the past year, Mass State Lottery. Patreon.com slash lowres. Enjoy the show. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans. Uh, we just had to restart the entire episode because uh, Hans was devouring a bag of saltines hot, on, live hot on the Cheetos. air. It's hot Cheetos. You know, I, it's all I eat. You've, you've experienced this. You've been in front of me, next to me, while I devour this bag Inside of you. hot Cheetos. And yes. uh, we have back on the show... I don't know what happened to this guy. He just kind of drifted off for 30 episodes. Uh, we have Jacob A. Miller, the cinematologist. How are you doing today? Fantastic. And Hans, I'm sorry. They only have hot Cheetos down there. I know you're longing for the cookies back here in the States. <laughs> but when the next have... movie happens, you've... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm stuck we'll up. We'll take you down to Kroger here. They have tons of cookies and pastries and Mrs. Fields. All the good stuff. Just, uh... I just come back and get stuff at uh, uh, customs because it's just boxes of snacks. <laughs> what are you smuggling in there? Uh, Swiss rolls? <laughs> Hans, how, how do you think they would them? apprehend you in the United States? Do you think they would put you on the ground? Do they think? Do you think uh, there would be some kind of dangerous position they put you in as they search you for cookies? Like if I was some type of African American criminal. You're a minority it's, in this country. That's true. Yeah. Two kinds of my. Hey, why don't you get centered, huh? I'm tired of seeing... Who is this guy? Oh. Who's the guy behind you? Irate Gamer. Famous Chris Boris. For those who are tuning in on Patreon.com slash Lowrez right now, I have to get this plug at the start of the episode because we keep forgetting that. It's always at the end. Makes no sense at all. If you want to watch the video of this episode, go to Patreon.com slash Lowrez. $5 a month gets you multiple multiple uh, irate gamer photos in Hans's background. <laughs> what, what was I saying? Anyway, you got to get a little bit more centered because I don't even know if you're going to show up in the video. It's just going to be your shoulder. That's a little bit better. Yeah, you got to sit right in front of him with his hands just like that right behind you <laughs> over your shoulders. Clasping around you. He's Beautiful. the first, he's like the first real example of a YouTube clone, like a YouTube, a YouTube star clone. He took the entire James Rolfe model and duplicated it and inserted himself. There's been tons of people like that uh, in the years since. There's a lot of Plinkett clones from Red Letter Media. Have you ever uh, stumbled upon one of their video essays? Someone starts talking like Mr. Plinkett. Uh, with, a, with a voice like very sarcastic and I do this thing of going up. And yeah, no, uh, this guy, I'm just surprised that he's still doing it. You know, 
He, he was in the game so early. That's why, like, he benefited from being old enough and then being there very early. So even though he was doing essentially a ripoff, Ugh. he still had a good enough fan base. I think he got a couple hundred thousand subscribers and plenty of views and whatever. He's he's chill now. I guess him and James are on good terms. They did a collab episode together, I think. Kind to, of. He to did, bury the hatchet. I, I, I didn't out, see it. I checked out some of Irate Gamer's videos, and he'll be like, oh, we have a special guest star. It's going to be uh, Balky from oh, yeah. Perfect yeah, Strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's literally just like he buys a cameo and then puts it in the video, and then he'll say, special guest star, so-and-so. Uh, and I've, yeah, I, you just see you see the person on the video like this, just going like, yeah, and I just you know wanted to say hello to my friend Chris. Chris, uh, yeah, Chris, what's up? And then just look at the message just so I can... Mm. Recognize the name and just hey, not... hey Chris, I heard you had a birthday. Your friend told me you had a birthday coming up. I uh, hear you like video games. And yeah. then they read a they read a <laughs> sentence or something that they write, just personalized thing, very yeah. obvious. Well, you know who else did that? Uh, you guys probably never saw uh, Don and Murph back in the day. Did you see that? Mm, no, With, I'm uh, not familiar. That, you know Sean C. Phillips. That uh, he was a real real big fellow. That he owns like eight thousand movies, and he does a weekly movie update they had this quirky uh movie review series and they would always get like b-list celebrities to come in their basement and be like whoa hey guys yeah funny you're here let's 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 talk about things and have ham uh, fisted banter together but then i don't know the guy who plays uh murph like raped somebody so they ended the show <laughs> oh wow. jesus <laughs> that was the season yeah. finale that sean c phillips is still he he's still uh he's like the physical media guy which is actually uh, a good segue into the show i he has probably like 10,000 movies by now cuz he picks up like 20 a week and he just has a series where he just goes over what he got and he just has this absurd collection in his in his place do you think that uh people showcasing their dvd shelves has become the new funko pops no, YouTubers? no, that was the that was the old Funko Pops. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. That you're correct. I, I about was that. totally into that scene, though. I loved it um, back when I was a teenager, and I, I was finally getting into like collecting movies myself and whatnot. There were all these guys on YouTube, pretty much like uh, Sean C. Phillips, but then there was this uh, this other dude called Ms. Paul, this like Welsh guy that got all this cool, obscure stuff, and fans mailed him in stuff and everything. And I forget what happened to him, but. He got like weird false copyright claims on the web, and then he he le he left YouTube, and then there were people I don't know, like this one dude, what was his name? Like Firefox, like four three four or something like that. He he had a ton, and then he was like, oh, how do I get them? I donate plasma. I donate plasma to get all my movies, and <laughs> and then uh, plasma dude, for an movies. Even, there's an even worse ending to this. He uh, like Nick Alder show. <laughs> yes, Nick Oldershaw. That was that was him. That was him. But then this uh, this Firefox guy. The, the sad ending to all this is that uh, he, he decided to close down his channel, and he's like, "Hey guys, I'm sorry, but I'm selling off my whole collection." Everyone's like, "Why? Why? Your videos have been great." And he's like, "My wife doesn't want it here anymore." It's so, always the wife, am I right, guys? Simped out. Wives not liking physical media. Man, we're we're a far cry. From it the it seems like there's a there was a, a certain trend 
among YouTubers from that era, from the early YouTube era, of just getting bitch wives, allegedly anyway, because they push all <laughs> their problems on their wife. Oh, I can't do this. My wife wants me to do this. I can't. I can't go star in Godzilla vs Kong. I have a wife. What are you? What are you talking about? I can't. I can't do a movie. I can't do a Warner Brothers film, the biggest movie of the year, allegedly. You know, sometimes who's, just, who's your that? wife gets in the way. That's James Rolfe. James Rolfe said no. Uh, we have to. I want to uh, talk about this. I don't think we've talked about this on the show uh, or any show. Wait, wait, for I, that thought, I thought that was VHS. It was or... VHS too. Here's what happened. Adam Wingard, when he was, uh, you know, young up and comer, said, I love the angry video game nerd. Would you star in my segment for VHS 2? Which was the, is very reminiscent Hi. of Mark Hamill, Stacey Keach, uh, not Stacey Keach, uh, John Carpenter body bag segment, mm-hmm. where, where he gets a new eye and the eye's evil and this and that. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. It's really it, well done. It is a well done segment. And he wanted James Rolfe to do it. James Rolfe said, I'm filming the angry video game nerd movie. What do you think I am? I can't take time off from that. This is my my magnum opus. So almost, almost, almost understandable in that case to not pull yourself away from something you've, you know, fundraised and, and been working on, your blood, sweat, and tears. Sure, fine. Obviously, VHS2 has stood the test of time out of those two features. Well, Adam Winger did not forget about James Rolfe. So he says to him, would you do a small role in Godzilla vs. Kong? Probably be a day. James Rolfe goes, well, I'd love to, but uh, I actually I have a daughter now, so I don't think I can do that. But uh, if you want to do an a angry video game nerd episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, he decided yeah. to throw where, that Where in. did you hear that? that that's From his review. Oh really? Yes, he talked about it and acted like it was just like this normal thing to to turn down yes. not once but twice this this big you know director uh, and then throw in at the end. But hey, you know if you ever want to do a nerd episode, call me. It's like how embarrassing! How <laughs> <laughs> just just lack of everything. Like I guess he's just given up on ever wanting to do anything other than the video game nerd because nothing has worked besides that. So maybe he's just like, why even try to be anywhere else if this is the... I think he's intimidated by doing anything on a large scale. That's my thought. Because I I think he has an actual interest in storytelling and in filmmaking, but I think he gets too in his own head and winds up sabotaging himself. But what has he done outside of angry video game though that's not just him sitting in front of a camera talking that would show that i mean but i guess the, the the one cinematic thing he's done is either avgn or when he does the the uh halloween reviews that he does where sometimes he does like little sketchy things but i don't know if he did that last year uh but besides that like, he hasn't done shorts that I know of. He he hasn't shown well, anything. Other his than... entire body of work prior to going to YouTube were, were all a bunch of short films. He was working before like the internet was a thing, really. And right. then once that happened, he got into the nerd character. He might have done a couple of shorts, I think, in the early days of Cinemasker, blooming, and then wound up just kind of sticking with that. And it seemed like it was falling off a little bit with the numbers or or with the like the fan base. And the, what was it, the rental review show kind of injected some new life into that, that whole channel. 
Right, he, but that's the thing. Like, if if sorry, sorry, Jake. If uh, if he was interested in being not just in the industry, just doing anything movie related, you would think, or he would show a little bit more uh, than just uh, you know, I'm gonna do a thing where I'm talking with my friends about movies, which is you know what we're doing right now. But you know, uh, I, I don't know. I just I just think that turning opportunities like that down so that you can talk into a camera from your home like that doesn't make any sense to me you know even if he if he, if he was saying yeah this is my bread and butter or whatever what are you going to be gone for a weekend a week he's not going to give you a major role so uh and also i bet you he would be uh, paid extremely well from that exactly as well exactly. And yeah. it would be worth his while mm-hmm. it would help for everything even his own production and i i also know that well from what you're saying adam winger likes him so it's not like he's just going to be there to be made fun of you know he's not going to be a buffoon that's just going to be laughed at at all so i don't understand his reasoning of i'm too busy taking care of my daughter you know you're not leaving for five months dude like what you know that doesn't make any because it's an excuse it's exactly he's he's nervous he gets nervous and he's like i don't think i can do that and his wife seems like she doesn't like i mean she used to like post i guess people have if you go on uh, the tv board on 4chan every so often if there's like a james (laughs) roll thread they do not hesitate to post negative things about his wife or photos about his wife or old myspace blog entries that she put up and her tone about the whole angry video game nerd thing and uh, certain elements of that and also the movie I think is very telling about her opinion on what James does for for work. It could be an imposter syndrome thing, though. Even though he's, James is a, he's a 40-year-old man now, and he, he's, he's done everything in his lane that somebody can do, pretty much innovated online content on the internet, and then build something cool out of that, and then even got a crowdfunded movie, which whatever, say what you say what you will about that, but built actual good connections. Somebody like Adam Wingard, who's, who's now directed a number of good films and a two hundred million dollar film just this year. He, it's got to be imposter syndrome because he, he'll t- if you watch any of his stuff, he's like, oh, I, I used to be a super shy guy in high school, didn't talk to anybody, and this and that. He's got to just feel like he. He can't fill those shoes because he's just oh I'm just I'm just James from New Jersey. All I know is how to make weird movies in the woods. Uh, <laughs> he, he he talks about like in the stuff he makes. He's a good he's a good filmmaker. That's the thing. But uh, he he just must feel I don't know some weird imposter syndrome where like when he finally makes that jump, uh, he's not gonna it's not gonna pan out. And he always talks about. It, at least the last few years, because I still follow him pretty pretty loosely, um, he's been talking about a number of features he wants to he wants to get into production, and he's like, "Yeah, I want to make a funny horror movie, a scary horror movie, and we're gonna we're gonna get those going." And then he puts up an update a year later. He's like, "Oh yeah, I have no idea when that's gonna be, so yeah. we'll figure that out." And it's just like, dude, you're forty years old now. Like, you at this point, yeah, yeah you got a couple of kids, but. When's like the existential dread going to set in on you, dude? <laughs> Not to make this a James bashing uh, podcast, but it's just, it's interesting to think because he's older than Adam Wingard and like this guy probably kind of looks up to him and he's like, Hey man, be in my movie, like hang with me and Ty West and make movies. And he's like, uh, maybe I mean, also, in 10 years. 
also, uh, like, he's not he's not going to be mocked, and also he's not going there to be seen as this brilliant director that everyone's supposed to respect. He's just going as his friend. So all this pressure that he might be, I mean, we're obviously creating a narrative here that we're not sure about, but if he's putting all this pressure on himself where he's like, yeah, I'll just be the goofy guy that's friends with him, that I'll, I'll just show up here, and that's it. Like, no one besides himself, I guess, would be expecting to, you know, be intimidated by him or anything. Like, he's just a guy. So, uh, I don't know. It, it, it just feels like closing doors that very few people have access to. Uh, totally. To, so, to something that could just... You know, you could you could get paid whatever to be that a cameo guy or a guy that's in a, in a movie for a couple of seconds, or you know maybe you're the guy that does that for all of his movies now. You're the Rob Snyder from his movies, and now you get paid every time he makes a movie. You know, fuck it. Like you are already a character online. Like nobody, honestly, like no disrespect, but like James Rolfe as a as a guy that people listen to or whatever, I'm sure he has a fun base and, and whatnot, but he's known because of a character they created. So again, like I just feel like maybe, like you said, he's probably insecure. He probably has his insecurity things where he maybe is afraid of the thing, but it just seems like a huge missed opportunity uh, to me instead. And I, I think there's a, there's a valuable lesson to be learned there for anybody that's trying to break into the industry. It's like, Hey, I don't know. Just keep yourself open. If you're afraid, oh, I might make a fool of myself or, oh, I don't know. I could, I could fail. Like, dude, who cares? Is there, is, yeah. Like, cause in this instance, you have somebody like James who, who's done a lot of good things, but he's been given at least a couple opportunities we know of and he's pushed them off to stagnate or, or to just kind of coast along and sure make his few bucks, but not, not not achieve the exact goal he was he, he said he was aiming for 20 years ago right and it's not like he hasn't acted in other people's projects before i know he did a, a remake of plan nine from outer space like this is as yeah. big as it's ever gonna get i think for him well, he did. being offered a, a a role in a feature did he do cassia or one of those too wasn't he oh, one of those oh, dog oh, Walker right. movies? Yes. one of the biggest movies yeah. of 2008 right how could i forget so i mean yeah uh, i don't know it just it i i guess the thing that's kind of depressing is that uh when you or at least when when we started making uh, sketches for for youtube or online or whatever i i don't think either of us thought that 20 years from now we're going to still making sketches about farts and whatever you know this guy has been doing this for how long? 10, 15 years? Maybe it's, longer it's, than that? It's, it's officially, it's 15 years, like, to the day. He, dro right. he dropped his first video on YouTube, like, April 6th of, of 06, I think. Right. Because I've been and there since mean, the beginning. <laughs> no, 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 again, no disrespect. He's made a living out of it, and, and that's great, because I'm sure he, at some point, enjoyed it, but... I, I I don't believe that he's not at least kind of tired of it after 15 years because it's pretty much the same thing over and over again. There's not much growth that I can do with that character. But also, like, if you're 40 years old right now, what? Aren't you 40 years old? 
Not yet, but 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 that's the thing. Like, I what's the thinking there? Like, are you gonna be fifty and still talking about di- beaver diarrhea or whatever the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> when, when you have those opportunities to jump off this platform, that fine, he's given you so much or whatever. But you know, you can make real money doing real things, and you're just closing doors because of your own insecurities or whatever reason. Like, I I don't I don't get that. It's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, and so many people you meet will just, will just falter to that. All the kids I, I met in film school or the kids that said, oh, yeah, I, w- I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, well, you're not going out making anything, but you're also not trying to meet people. You're not trying to, yeah, it's it's like, all right. I mean, saying it is one thing, but it, it's it's really not as intimidating as everybody makes it out to be. Once once you understand and you you work a little bit in the industry and you see what people work there, you're like, Oh, this is what it is. It's a bunch of chain smoking, like people that are angry to be at work, just like admire their job. Oh, great. Okay, I feel right at home. Right. It's it's the same social situation as essentially anything else, uh, and it, it it can be uh, probably intimidating to navigate off the bat. But again, it is the same exact kind of social situation as anything else, corporate or business related or work related. Um, what do you guys think about the, the prospective future about the red letter media guys? Because they seem to uh, hobnob with a lot of celebrities that are like C tier, like Pat Oswalt types. And I know that Mike was doing uh, an Adult Swim pilot or show or something that did not get picked up. So it seems like they're also kind of trapped. And they have made stabs at uh, making feature films in the past. And there are elements of it that... Uh, I think are kind of impressive given like the scale of their budget. Like I watched space cop and space cop is, uh, is uh, really terrible. It's really a piece of shit movie, but um, <laughs> it's called space cop. <laughs> yeah. They wanted they that wanted to have it awesome. both ways just, just by the title though. <laughs> they wanted to have it uh, both ways where, where they don't like they, they try, but then they like try to pass it off. Like they didn't try. You know, so I, at the beginning and end of the movie, they actually have some pretty impressive visuals, given, you know, the scope of their uh, limitations and whatnot. But then everything in the middle is just sagging. It's bad. I think right. I think there, there, there's been kind of a revelation with a lot of these these online creators. And uh, maybe we fall into that camp somewhere because we like comfort systems and some of the other stuff we've done has been popular with a small group of people. But. I think what we've been able to avoid so far that a lot of these bigger guys seem to fall into, and it's almost unanimous. You think of people like Smosh, uh, like, and then uh, the, the kid who played Fred, uh, Ryan Higa, uh, James, and then these red letter guys, and then to a much lesser extent, like <laughs> Doug Walker. Um, they kind of pigeonhole themselves, I think, by relying heavily on an online sensibility of content curation and rely on that as a, as a prime audience. And I think that, I think that clouds their judgment to a more mass market appeal. So maybe that's a fancy way of just saying that you become so, I think, uh, ingrained and attached to one sphere of of media that, that it essentially becomes your only, I think you're the only part of your identity where it's, when you have a following like Red Letter Media or somebody like James who has, I think, a couple million subscribers now, it's it's worked for you to do it that way for so long. But to to 
make a jump into maybe a more mainstream format is just it's 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 like speaking a different language for the first time that that's kind of how I, I perceive it i think that the biggest difference with the red letter media guys is that they've done that already they've made a couple of movies with their own money that they created but or that they made by making these videos but also their channel is very varied in content so they have they've been able to reinvent themselves by making different types of shows where it's not the same thing and you know even though they're not as as successful as best of the worst let's say uh if they feel like it tomorrow they could come up with uh with a new um what's his name uh, review like the old guy what's his name blanket, blanket. blanket a new a blanket a new blanket review and it would be a huge success because it's not something that you a new one is not something you see every day i don't know if they've released one in years so they they've been able to create so uh content that's so varied that if they come up with a new version of one of them there's enough of an audience for that specific one that it could work and it's not stagnant as when you when you get someone like james who uh has tried different things because it, you know you can't fault him from attempting doing the you know he did the the board james one he did the the ripoff of the grind my gears character too i think it was oh, a you series know yeah you know it's BS. Yeah. That, that actually came back he, he's he's doing it again the funny thing is that one actually made national news uh, so he, he's made waves with some of that content but i think it's again it, it's just this idea that i think some of these guys are so entrapped in one way of doing things that it insulates i think th their idea of differing workflows and thinking that there's there's a clear-cut one-off formula to transcend from one platform to another. And I, I think I just don't think there is. I think you need to work differently based on what universe you're in. If it's online, it's totally different from if you're going a conventional route, even if it's like TV. Think of somebody like, the, you know, mass killer Sam Hyde. Think about him, how he went from TV, but then back to uh, Internet. Right. And well, they kind it, of forced him. They, they made him do that at gunpoint. Yeah. Well, it's still, but still, still, he didn't go back. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, but still, so he, but he, okay, so he's cast back into the abyss of the internet, and it's uh, it it, it is it, it is different from what made the airwaves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's um, a, a totally different mode of thinking and, and pragmatism. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, uh, maybe Mister? Mr. Movie Bob's chances of transcending mediums and getting into the mainstream entertainment system. Hans, do you have faith in this man? <laughs> no. What do you I, mean? No. I, I honestly, uh, this is something that I, I remembered very recently because I, I have forgotten that when I lived in London, I had an American um, roommate and he loved why are you crouching videos? in the side of the screen again? <laughs> he's nervous. He's oh, very. Sorry, no. He's not trying I, I can't to out say, his I, roommate who loved MovieBot. I can't <laughs> see my camera, so he would show me. What was that website that he worked for? Where e he would just review a thing. Oh. <laughs> no, that's what I what I work for. Uh, the, he uh, he used to review things like with very speaking very quickly and like very simple animation. Uh, Newgrounds. And uh, no, oh. I don't fucking remember, but. Spilled it's just very of uh, very obnoxious, very like I know better attitude type of thing. I think 
I, I don't know if you can be that and be successful and also be fat. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, because like people either want to look at you or listen to you or read what you say. And I don't think anyone wants to look at him. And when you hear him talk with the elitist attitude of I'm smarter than everyone else, it's not very, at least personally, I don't enjoy it. Uh, I know he has his fan base. I'm sure he has a fan base, but I, I don't think he's going to be, I mean, he's not already and he's been doing this for how long. Uh, so I, I know that you're asking this just because he got one over me uh, on Twitter, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I don't think he's, yeah, I don't think he, he offers anything that, you know, would, or well, he a... preaches a lot about eugenics on Twitter. He loves to go into how people should be bred out of existence and uh, it should be an elite class of human that uh, the lowest are holding us back. He, do he does get into this. I'm not making a bit right now. This is, these are things he talks about. But he talks about it in a framed way where it's like Midwest people. If you own a farm, you gotta be you got to be put in the urn. Well, no. It sounds like like he's the last human in Planet of the Apes. So he's like this athlete that's surviving in a world of just animals that are not like him. Mo movie Bob is Charlton Heston. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Put those two images next to each other. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, like why, why are you Charlton Heston and Movie Bob? It's like, why are you talking shit? It takes you five minutes to get out of bed. Like, why? You, you shut up. That's the thing that bothers me about him. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, to go to go back to the to the um, red letter media thing briefly, uh, I think being able to bring so many different characters together and just put them in different types of shows and just let them develop a little bit of personality for the audience has helped them a lot with keeping people interested in their videos because even though it might be a best of the worst, you don't know which characters are going to show up and then they all react differently to the garbage that they watch, uh, which I think is something that we kind of have tried to maybe not mimic uh, consciously, but I think that's the dream, right? If, if you're making a show, the dream of a comedy show is something like Seinfeld, where you have characters that are very well-defined and you can just throw them anywhere. And I know, shut up. <laughs> and then you can throw them anywhere and the audience wants to see them reacting to things. Uh, so that that one you can just do... Uh, it's always sunny show to give another example. And then they, you can just put them doing whatever and the audience wants to see the personality. Uh, and they've done that. I think that's why they've been able to stay relevant ish. Uh, when did you guys start exploring YouTube as uh, Oh, back in the, back in the beginning in the um, early days, the earliest. Oh, six. Oh, six is when I started my first YouTube account and I, cause I loved making videos back then. Like I, I was, I was making my own short films since I was like, oh, I don't know, 10 years old. And so is there a, is there a hidden young Jacob, <laughs> young there, Jacob channel? There might be, I, I've tried to, it's not, it's not the all. cinematologist channel that you have currently. No, no, no. Even though I've had that one for like 12 years now. Um, so yeah, I yeah, it, I was there from the beginning, and there was obviously a weird curve because back in 06, it was just like those tacky videos of some Russian guy doing a bunch of noises, and then he then he compiles it into a big beatbox thing, and then you've got stuff like um, Dragon Ball Z with with uh, less than Jake music, 
and this yeah. is fighting or Naruto fighting videos. Yeah. And it's like, and like the, the, two, <laughs> the two guys that learned how to use After Effects, and so they yeah, did yeah. like uh, a Star Wars lightsaber battle, and uh, so it, it was super novelty back then. But then it was again really somebody like uh, James actually I think was a catalyst for something different, and sure there were others at the time. But his channel exploded essentially overnight back in about 06, 07. And really, from there, it turned into, well, I mean, geez, there's been so many other catalysts since then. But, oh, yeah, it's just turned into something completely unrecognizable from its inception. Yeah, his channel, I think, was the first one that I took note of anyway, where he seemed to be sticking with a particular theme or character or an idea. Uh, I, You know, I didn't have uh, DSL even until like 2008 or 2007, really late. So when I discovered YouTube, I just kind of like binged everything. And Angry Video Game Nerd was one of the first guys that I had gotten into. I forget even how I, I might have discovered them because I, I know he did a couple of spots on Obi and Anthony where they were just like going over his videos. But I, I think I was introduced to him first. I didn't start listening to them until probably, oh, geez, I don't know, maybe like 2007. I don't know. Uh, Hans, what about you? You a late bloomer? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I think it might have been just uh, trying to find audio of Opie and Anthony when I was like, yeah, around two thousand seven, two thousand eight ish. Uh, Tayson Day, remember Tayson Day? He was yeah. a, an original. Oh, Tayson. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, what else? Who was from from the fucking uh, Afro William Johnson. Ray William Johnson, who is no one, none of you recognize, but for whatever reason, I know. Who I, I no, I, I knew who familiar. he was. I I never watched him. I knew who he was though. He, right, he had a pretty popular channel, but then I think he came under fire for a few things, and people were like, "Oh, this guy sucks," and and yeah, and so then I think he faded out. Um, yeah, he had like a he had like a comedy rap band. It was really bad or something like that. Sounds uh, great. Smart. What I found is that back in those days, again, like 06, 07, and James really being the, the pioneering example because of where he's from, like that time period was pretty much for kids with crappy cameras in New Jersey running around and like hurting themselves. And yeah, New Jersey's another, that's another planet to me, essentially. So it was fun for me to see the people of New Jersey hurt themselves for my entertainment. But it soon fell off. It was, it was probably by when uh, Jackass 3 came out. The Jersey kids were essentially phased out of existence and, and replaced by corporate media once again. Yeah. But th those like two years were essentially all the burnouts I knew that were doing those kind of videos. And then, the again, the beanie wearing like Badger from Breaking Bad looking Jersey guys that that would just run around in, in the Pine Barrens and, and, just, and just completely embarrass themselves. A lot of what I was watching back then was like Newground-style animations or YouTube poop, where it would just be something yeah. like putting uh, Gerard Butler's head on like a, like a, the body of a person in a GIF, and then there would be like high-blasting music, like techno music. Oh, yeah. Like Bass Hunter or somebody like that. Uh, there was some, some great simplicity to a lot of the humor and entertainment back then. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. I just, I need to, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Can you believe that Ray Fisher made this George Floyd thing about himself? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, let, let's let's unpack that since today is uh, is uh, the well the day that we're recording. You know, what? I might just throw this up on YouTube tonight in place of the Civic TV episode we're supposed to record. Also, Jerry just woke up right now. My fiance was supposed to wake me before the show, says Jerry. Fuck. Consistent with the wife. Hey, didn't we just talk about beta YouTubers that blame their wives? (laughs) (laughs) It says here that uh, Warner Media tweeted uh, an image that says, The work continues. While this verdict doesn't bring back those we've so wrongly lost, we know that it brings us closer to significant change. Not sure how. We reaffirm our commitment to be part of the solution by using our platforms, content, and resources to advance racial equity and social justice. And Ray Fisher retweets it and says, How fucking dare you, Warner Media? Oh, oh, now I'm pissed. I did see that they issued a statement and a lot of people were going, I stand with Ray Fisher, the hashtag in the in the comment section. But I didn't see him actually put he so he quote tweeted this and like said, But what about me? Yeah, and then he said you need it says you need to get on this ASAP and tagged Jason Killer, who's the Warner Media CEO. Can you imagine being the CEO of Warner Media and letting this nothing because he, he, as an actor like his career is nothing compared to so, like someone that can speak with like the balls that you have to have the size of balls that you need to have to you know tag your employer like that and just be like what the fuck you know like that that's the thing that bothers me the most about him that it's just like you have no career if it wasn't for Cyborg. Like, nobody will give two fucks about but who hold you on, are. Hold so. on, hold on. Can we forgive the fact that he is a whiny little bitch uh, for uh, the reality that he single-handedly tanked Joss Whedon's career? That's what I was going to say. He, This dude, I don't care what he says, if I agree with him, like, philosophically or something like that, this guy deserves a Nobel Prize for putting that baby-toothed orangutan to rest. I am so happy... That Joss Whedon has, has wiped his presence off the internet. Nobody wants to work with him anymore. Everybody sees his 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 scripts and his material as as the ham-fisted cornball '90s crap. It is Ray Fisher can say whatever the hell he wants at this point. He can he can, <laughs> he can go harass families of slain children at this point and be like, "Hey, gotta weigh the pros and cons. He's done more good than bad." So that, Jake, that's where this I is... stand. This this is Hollywood though. You know, in five years he's gonna come back because everyone will forget, and he'd be like, "Hey, hold on, that's that's not movie? true. That is not true. James you Franco so? has not come back. Louis C.K. has not come back. These people, when they get canceled, they get traumatized from it and they stay away. Uh, I don't know. The only I don't know. the only way to actually get through that is to just act like nothing's happening. That worked for Woody Allen. Even when they cancel him every like two years because he married his his ex wife's stepdaughter, um, and allegedly did some other stuff. Who knows? I don't know if I buy any of that. Because um, Mia Farrow looks crazy. Her eyes are fucking nuts. She looks like a mental patient. I don't know if you guys have seen <laughs> Mia Farrow lately. She looks like oh yeah, like if you bleached Carrot Top, and then cut his eyelids off. F- fucking horrifying that woman. Did oh you say you bleach? 
Bleach Carrot Top. <laughs> yes. That's like an extra layer of Jesus. Yeah. Just that. <laughs> you could just stop at that. Um, I mean, James Frank was still producing and directing shit. Like, it might not be. What huge. is he produced and directed? If you're looking at IMDb and you saw Zeroville in, in 2019, that movie was being shot in 2013. That's an old movie. Yeah. He, he's done nothing since uh, The Disaster Artist, which was good, but they filmed that in 2015. Yeah. Well, the dudes, yeah. that show, the dudes, he was executive producer of the dudes. And that's done. They that, ended yeah, it. Yeah, but that doesn't yeah. mean anything either. That just means yeah. they maybe showed him a piece of paper and were like, hey, what do you think? You want to get behind this? And he's like, eh, sure. He didn't do anything. They just attached that's, his name for, right. for clout. That's him having a little bit of creative decision. So if he doesn't like a line, he can have the authority to change it, and he'll get a little pay cut and a credit from that. That's yeah. about it. Executive producer usually uh, doesn't mean a damn thing. So I don't, I don't know. know. I just think I don't know. Maybe I mean hopefully because just is he's run his course as to what he can say that's interesting at all anymore. He doesn't but, say anything anymore. He, he's gone. He, he's well. Did he ever say anything, or was he just a, a matter of this is different than what we have? What do you mean in in regards to why? Regard it, this specific incident? Of, no, no, no. In regards of the shit he. I mean, I don't mean shit as like literal shit, but like the. The things he directed and produced back in the day, uh, I think all of his work is is held at a high regard because of the memories that we have of the the, we. the things that as they were coming out. Well, people have. We were Joss baby. When they were yeah, coming out, you like love Buffy Firefly, or whatever. Buffy. But exactly. But like, if you think, if you wow. look back, you admitted like that. how many of those That's even? That's how many of those us. even hold up? Stop talking. You know what us. I mean? Stop. You just said you like Joss Whedon <laughs> stuff. You don't, you don't, you can't, you can't, you can't hold the, any the position only, against Joss Whedon. Listen, you said, oh yeah, we all have these fond memories of Buffy, watching Buffy as a, as a 16 year old boy. I never, the I never only watched. reputable thing that he, that he's done, and, and it's, it's hardly even a credit to him that I'll still stand up for is he did one rewrite of, uh, the, the screenplay for Toy Story, but it, mm. it it's very glaringly obvious which parts he wrote if you listen to the dialogue you'll know it's, it. it's where jesse introduces cock and ball torture to woody it's where she puts a, a chastity cage on his penis with, with it that. just lasts to be slowly uh, lit on fire woody uh, sex mewling voice um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I do or that we do, but it, it would be. No, but you did say we. You did say you, on, you exactly said okay. we. But but it would be dishonest to say that five years ago he wasn't a huge name in the industry, like Avengers. Like he was sure. huge. There was no one bigger when it comes to that. But which I'm going through his IMDb right now. I, none of his work. Like, I would even want to watch now uh, or anything that you can say, well, this is timeless and you can enjoy it any time. No. I feel like everything is very dated and very, very much like this is different because it's quirky and women empowerment or whatever the fuck. Uh, but that at the time we didn't have on TV. But now that all of that shit is played out, you go back to watch. And even as, as early as Avengers now, it's kind of cringe already. No, so, it is because because what he what he did. I and why he was able to hit for the time he could, I'll break it down the way I see it. The way I see it is that when Avengers was coming along and he got hired because, one, maybe a good agent, two, a little bit of nepotism, and three, oh, I wrote, like, big ensemble shows back in the the 90s, so 
he was an okay pick. And then people gravitated toward it. And he really started what I think has been one of the worst patterns in modern cinema. What he did was essentially repackage a 90s format and, and bring it into the 2010s and, and, and present it as something new. When all he was really doing was rehashing like uh, you know, off-kilter off dialogue that really made no sense in relation to the plot. Uh, plenty of bathos, which means like, Again, just nonsensical stuff that has no relation to the to the tone or nature of the story and, and use it to be jarring or to be like quirky, like you said, Hans. And pe people, I guess, kind of forgot that that was a huge thing in the 90s. And they're like, oh, wow, this is so quirky and new and fresh. And then it's like you get to Avengers 2 and they're sitting there arguing for the first 10 minutes of the movie about using bad language. And it's like, listen, I know it's a stupid kids movie <laughs> made for China, but please shut up, please. And once, well, and once um, Justice League happened and, and everything fizzled out, I think people realized they're like, wait, what did we even like about this guy's stuff to begin with? I think, and I, I think that's what happened. Yeah, no, I think you're it's... completely correct in that you nailed it. When uh, Buffy was on television in 1996 or 7, you didn't have that type of character or even that type of dialogue on TV shows. And then by the time we do get to Avengers, yeah, you, you get that mutated, gross, not trusting your audience version of that where you have to implement jokes. And that's become like the industry standard for any type of big blockbuster film. Is Even Star Wars did yeah, that. Is yeah. Just make sure the audience is comfortable in their seat and laughing. And that's also kind of wiped well, the, out the, comedies, right? The joke is explaining the joke, right? It's like you say the joke, and then there's another character being like, because this and this, in a sassy way. And it's just, it, it, exactly. It, that wouldn't have been, been made possible if he didn't have people as talented as, say, Robert Downey Jr., who, to be honest, probably cringed himself half to death when reading those lines, but was like, oh, wait, I'm making $60 million to do this? Eh, whatever. And, until yeah, he's oh. eventually until he's eventually like, I can't do this anymore, please. Right, there, there's a definite out. tonal hey. shift between him riffing, improvising on the set of John Favreau's Iron Man 1, and even Iron Man 2. And also, John Favreau has like pretty decent comedic timing as a, as a writer and director and performer. Um and then by the time you do get to those later films, it, he feels hollowed out. He feels robotic. He's a dead man. <laughs> I mean, give me give me five hundred thousand, and I'll do the Don Cacino bit that <laughs> that Al Pacino did. Fuck it, I don't care. That, that yeah, was at least uh, supposed to be bad, right? A lot of people have the wrong idea about that. They <laughs> yeah. think it's supposed to be earnest, I guess. When like the the joke that everybody's like laughing at, thinking that they understand what they're watching. Is the joke that's in the movie Jack and Jill, but um, shot by Dean Cundy, by the way, unbelievable. <laughs> the great wow. Dean Cundy shot Jack and Jill. Well, he certainly um, has range. I'll say that. <laughs> Joss Whedon uh, falls into the same category as uh, the Kevin Smith to me, where his success it's pretty much only because when his stuff was coming out, there wasn't anything like it. Not saying that it was good, not saying that it was, you know, groundbreaking or anything, even though kind of was, but it was different. So if you look back at it, and, and so many people that stole that style 
now it's kind of like you watch Clerk, it's kind of like, uh, all right, all right. Uh, but at the time, like that's the reason why I guess they work so well, just because there was nothing like it, but not because they were actual, you know, quality work. No, I, I'll actually give Kevin Smith though that th those early films are actually, I, especially when you consider his age, like being about 23, 24 when making the first Clerks movie, it's actually good. It, it's it's actually good and innovative filmmaking for the time, which was like, that's why the nineties were so huge. All those films in the early nineties, like uh, boys in the hood, John Singleton's 23, uh, El Mariachi by Rodriguez. He's 23 when he makes it. And then you have something like clerks, which again, uh, Smith at 23, 24, just uh, well, he's from New Jersey, right? Like yeah. just goes to the convenience store, his friends work at or whatever. And he, and he makes this movie for about you know $40,000 and it becomes this huge thing. Like, there, there's totally a, a, a real pioneering aspect from the '90s that somebody like Kevin Smith can can claim. I don't think Just Whedon can claim a, a damn of anything. No, he was, he, a Hollywood, he was a Hollywood guy from the very beginning. Yeah. He got into the, he had an agent. He got into the industry. He was able to get Buffy the Vampire Slayer greenlit as a movie in 1991 or 1992, and uh, you know that wasn't I think successful, but it left a good taste in people's mouths. It, 20th, 20th Century Fox, where he was able to um, shoehorn that into a TV series where he could be showrunner or EP or whatever he was doing. And that just opened up the door for him for whatever he wanted to do. I think it's just all perfect timing on his part because then you that 90s phase where he was, it was really transgressive for a lot of weird reasons. But then you've got shows like, what's it, Charmed? Which, like, the witch thing was huge then in the <laughs> 90s. All the witch chicks that have come back 25 years later that are like 31 and they're, they're very confused it's young back. women. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's totally was... back. I, I went I, I went they're to just... Salem two months ago and you, you will see how, how much it is back. It's uh, <laughs> just POCs now, I think. Three Girls of Color. Three yeah, Witches you, of you Color. You mean the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah. also brought back yeah. Walker, Texas Ranger. With Jared Padalecki. What? Yes, yeah, Jared, Jared from uh, Supernatural, Supernatural is now Supernatural. Walker. Wow. Talk about completely different totally. What does he have a, a mustache or a goatee? No, he's, no, just, he's, just, he's just pretty Jared. He's just cool. Yeah. He's just cool sheriff. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> does he have a black sidekick like Walker did? I don't think he did does. He have, like, a black that's sidekick? The crappy part. Yeah, it, yeah, it was his uh, deputy. I always forget the uh the character's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I still watch Walker like casually because it's on Pluto all the time. And I'll just Dude, there's a clip that clip when he's driving with a woman and she won't shut up or something. She's like trying to find him. And he just like punches her in the face and just <laughs> keeps driving. It's just like, yeah, it's just you can't do shit like that anymore. Like it's not supposed to be comedy, but it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to get back to Josh Whedon. So are we taking a firm stance here that uh, selective cancel culture cancelings are acceptable or encouraged? There, there's a, there is a, an exception to every rule, and this is one of the exceptions. You can still say it, this all sucks and, like, it's stupid and, like, oh, man, did you hear Chevy Chase say the N-word in that sketch with Richard Pryor 45 years ago? Like, ooh, man, we got to get him. But then you see something like Joss Whedon, and you're like, uh, well, who gives a hell about that guy? I think I would prefer that he failed because he sucks. 
like that he has no audience or gets no work gets no work because people have realized that he has nothing to say anymore so why would i hire him then because you know he can still say i'm still talented you know i didn't get kicked off because I, I didn't have it anymore it's because of this bullshit that happened or whatever instead of having someone that just has nothing else to say and now it's in russia making shitty movies because someone's paying him a bunch of money uh i would prefer that ending i think but there's there's no point. spectacle to that you probably wouldn't even notice that he would just be weeded out grad like uh you know it would be a josh trank thing where you just don't hear from the guy anymore and then that you don't you stop thinking about it but this this is very. This is kind of intriguing. I prefer I think. not. I don't know. I, I prefer not thinking about it. A guy, <laughs> a guy like, who has, gone. who has, uh, uh, you know, vocally stuck up for women throughout his. He, he, I mean, he he's known as like the feminist, and then you come to find out he was like poorly treating pregnant women and and underage girls on the set of Buffy. And I mean, who knows why he really got burned by Disney? Because they didn't like how he handled things on the set of Avengers too. And, uh, you know, everything comes comes into, uh, you know, it crystallizes with this Justice League thing. So, I don't know. My, my, my thinking on this whole cancel culture thing is uh, it's probably best not to look at it in, like, a binary way. Uh, and it's always great when people who are, like, you got to hold people accountable for their actions get held accountable for their actions and wind up getting burned from that. I love that. I think it's yeah, great. It's, it's it's cosmic justice. It take it tastes about as good as any hot sauce I put on I put on my chicken on a Wednesday night. It's just 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 it's, it it's, couldn't happen to a more worthy man. That's what I'll say. So I I don't disagree with that, but I, I kind of wish that he left, or or at least that he left after failing a couple of times horribly, and then he gets canceled because now. Well, like, who's to he, say that, he didn't fail horribly a couple times? He could once he did those Avengers movies. Like, yeah, they made their money, and he could he could laugh all the way to the bank. But nobody gave a damn about anything else he was ever doing. He he did um, he did a I mean, rendition he could, of he much ado. He did much ado about nothing in his own house um, that nobody nobody yeah. cared for. Yeah, he had a lot of the actors from the Avengers in that as well. A lot of his regulars, and that got critical praise because he was the Hollywood it boy at the time. They felt kind of like they needed to do that but nobody really watched that movie and nobody thinks about it nobody has gone back to it since it came out so he did fail he did fail in a sense and then pretty much after that after avengers 2 he he just essentially became just a a, a political surrogate what is his show now that he left that he was almost done. I think it was with Amazon that he was doing a TV show. No, uh, I'm not sure. HBO had it, and now I don't even think he's going to get credited for for the series that he created. Have you guys seen that show about the black people that get burned by whites? There's like a huge. That's every show on HBO. There's a, no. There's a show. <laughs> I think it's called Others. No, it's them. Uh, I thought this was okay. So oh, this show, which is apparently not to be what confused with the classic horror film. No, no, no. Wasn't that like a bunch of ants that were running yeah. around? <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, so them is a new Amazon Prime series, and I saw it. And I was like, Jordan Peele is doing like a shared uh-huh. universe thing, and then I looked it up, and he has nothing to do with this show. They stole his aesthetic of like wide-eyed scared black people being terrorized by white people <laughs> and uh you know the uh the, the strings on the violin or whatever the hell they use in the in the shots and in the trailers um my thing is he probably agreed to put his name on this as a producer like he did that al pacino nazi hunter series for for amazon 
and then watched a little bit of it and was like, this is a piece of shit. I don't want my name on here. And they were like, but we, we use your style throughout the entire thing. Like, this is going to be your series. And then he just, like, backed away from it slowly. Uh, that could be a totally fictional scenario in my head that I just created. I yeah. don't know. But it sound, yeah. it, if you watch the trailer, it, it, you can see that. You can kind of feel I, that. I looked at the producer's list, and there's two black people in it, and there's eight, I think eight or seven whites. It's all white there's people. there's one, one Asian woman. Ty West the directed thing episodes I, of that show. The, the thing that I found the funniest is that, um, well, first, I don't know who this show is for. Uh, because the like the two voices that are being elevated as producer uh, as the, are the two black voices, obviously, because it's a show that deals with racial awfulness. But uh, the thing that's funny to me is that it's received backlash from black people being like, what the f- we don't want to see black people being burned and brutalized by whites. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, who is this for? And to me, it seems like this is just a show so that white people can point and say, hey, look at how much we've improved for those from those horrors, and we're not like that anymore. Wrong. Or- you're wrong. I'll tell you why you're wrong. Because, first of all, the prime demographic for everything, the, no- the number one person in America that's buying things is a 25-year-old white woman. And yep. they don't think, look how, how look how look how great Fair. we've True. we've become yeah. in the year since. They go, I want to I want to be put in my place. I want to be yeah. asserted right. on by strong uh. <laughs> strong uh, outward entity. So they want to feel that shame. <laughs> they love that shame. They want to be a submissive little bitch to the Amazon series and have because, their like, hair pulled I, and their face I, I spat like, in. You even know? if even if you want to bring like awareness to to it like if you're not aware that horrible no, there's no awareness it's those... money it's all money that's lovecraft but... country that's uh what's right. the other show on hbo watchmen that's all this is about yeah. is white women love to feel bad about things that they never did and the fact that they probably don't have like a black friend or whatever and they hold themselves accountable <laughs> that's all it is and that's why the country's so fucked up that is 100% why the country is so fucked up is because white women are the prime consumer and they know that they're going to make money by flexing all these Black Lives Matter. Uh, here, look at our slogan. Nike's putting this out. The Raiders are putting out a thing. You know, it doesn't matter because that's <laughs> yeah. that's who's buying at the end of the day. Everything. Yeah. Uh, that's who's tweeting about it. That's who's saying, hey, correct. look at what we look at the awful things that we do and still continue to do them. Uh, and I so just think the, it's funny they, that but they, the media, they went overboard. The media of the country and the ethos of the country now have begun to reflect that. And that's why everything is so poisonous right now and why it's so toxic and why everything sucks, why everything entertainment sucks. You found a great way to get this episode demonetized. Yeah, this is not going to be posted anywhere at this rate. I don't know. I just think it's funny that this bunch of white people grab two black persons and we're like hey let's just make a show where we just torture black people for an hour an episode and they're like yeah this will bring awareness or like i again I, I just don't know what the what the goal is besides like you said for white liberal women that want to you know shame others i guess for doing well, things that i mean not I, doing I, I can't summarize it any better than Lores just did because i, I think yeah. he, 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 the economics of it that's exactly what it's about because really Culturally speaking, this has already happened, and it's been done way better. Almost 45 years ago, Roots with LeVar Burton, 1977. There you go. Cultural paradigm, 
hundreds of millions of viewers, all the effect you, you would ever need in one miniseries that was, uh, what was that, NBC maybe? Um, one miniseries in 1977 did it all. And and it's still it's still revered. It's just rehashing for economics and, and again, preying on that guilty mindset and, and that consumer mindset of, of wanting to see things that make you feel deeply emotively. Why do you think our generation seems to love uh, true crime, which is exactly what we were supposed to be watching tonight, except Jerry yeah. hit the snooze button to... Two feet, uh, two feet on the night time. he wins too. He, we were supposed yeah, to. He, yeah. Oh man, the, the day of the Derek Chauvin trial, we were going to watch the O.J. Simpson story. That could have gone real bad if that was a different verdict. That could have been <laughs> uh, expulsion from Twitch. But but that's that's what it is. It, it, it's about the um, the economics of the situation, and and again preying on people's, uh, I think insecurities or stuff that makes them feel unsafe or stuff that makes them feel uncomfortable. And a lot of people see that as boundary pushing necessarily or or provocative. And sometimes it's fun when you watch maybe a good crime doc series or or something like that. But it's become such an inundated part of of typical media consumption today. Think of that stupid show everybody watched last year uh, during COVID, Tiger King. I still haven't watched it because I and this is me because I'm really smart. Right. Um, I I. Felt it's, from the from the second. It, <laughs> let, let me have my fine. moments. I, I get one of these weeks. This is tough. I have a serotonin deficiency. Um, that the the Tiger King thing to me just felt so artificial, so artificially pumped into the psyche on on Facebook, and it was a really susceptible time because everybody was staying at home for a couple weeks at least and, and binging this show, and, and you get this this. This this very faux, very corporatized, <clears throat> like cultural paradigm uh, push, where I, I still haven't watched it. I, I don't care to watch it. Maybe I'll watch it in five years to to see if it's actually interesting at all. But it, it's the economic angle to all this stuff is just exactly what pushes it because then people are oh what, what's 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 the next series that's gonna like make me feel weird and and. And make me feel guilty or make me feel bad, and it, and it, it it's making so much money right now. It's getting so many downloads. It's it's just unbelievable. It, people, it's it's almost like masochism that that people are just addicted well, to these days. Right, and with That's the a, with the true crime thing, especially what Netflix has carved out is the kind of activist angle of going well. You know, maybe this person didn't actually do this, and this we saw this with Making a Murderer a couple of years before. Where Stephen Avery, who's a sick fuck, who's a fat hillbilly, he looks like a character in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, clearly did something. There's no like, there's no thing here that goes, oh, well, maybe it was this person, or, or like offers some uh, a vignette of what could be an alternative uh, answer to why this woman was murdered. And it, uh, look, HBO did the same thing with their Anon, uh, the case against Anon yeah. documentary. It's like, it's a... just like he's look at we got holes in this case right here, here, and here. And, uh, well, who's the killer then? I don't know. Look, he's my brother. He couldn't have killed her. Oh, great. All right. That's a persuasive argument. Um, they, they love ushering these types of uh, documentaries out where you feel some sort of, like, burning in your gut. Like, is this person being wronged? 
well, maybe yeah. maybe I got to get involved. And I guess that was the thing with I, I haven't watched Tiger King either, but I know that the idea was that he might be innocent and it was Carol Baskin. And you have a lot of these wild characters, not exactly one to one with making a murderer and also serial where I think the police wound up taking conveniences in both of these cases that have uh, muddied the waters, kind of similar to O.J. Simpson. And uh, left yeah. things gray when it shouldn't be gray. It's very obvious this person is guilty of the murders. Um, but with Tiger King, yeah, it, it it felt completely artificial from the jump. I uh, couldn't agree with you more there. Hans, did you did you watch the Tiger King show? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's I watched it much late after like the whatever died out a little bit for that same reason. But and it's fine. Uh, it's like I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Wild and Wonderful. Whites uh, of white. West Virginia, yeah, yeah, it's something like that. That that one I would recommend to anyone. That was amazing. That was fascinating. This one, it's a lot like very toned down version of that. Where we're, we're just watching hillbillies be wild, you know, like that's just hillbilly behavior, and we're laughing at them, and and look at these freaks, and we're like at the end of the of the thing, you don't know if the cage is for the tiger or for the hillbilly by the way that they're presented. That was very deep, uh, because because. Uh, <laughs> Because of the way that they present these characters, you're you're seeing them as animals, and like there's the narrative at the end. It's presented as well. Did she kill him or not, or whatever? But at the end of the day, the thing that runs it or drives the show is that you're watching hillbillies act wild uh, in this thing. So, there, yeah, there's not much to it. But it, it's the same thing as a Stranger Things or whenever those these new shows come out, and everyone has this high opinion of them, and then you watch them after. That dies down a little bit. It's just like I really like this is the thing. I fine, I yeah. guess. Like it doesn't really do thing it. They're they're playing um, on as well. So there's the uh, the the discomfort and the guilt aspect that the media economy is preying on. But then there's the nostalgic angle, which has been completely done to death. And it's just a matter of time until they transition into the '90s and start to to rob that aesthetic. They they might already have started doing it. Who knows? Uh, I, I skipped a number of movies from the last year that very possibly could have done that. So they're, they're playing on these very emotional cues and just really, re like, again, you, you just kind of made the example yourself. Uh, Lorez said uh, that them series, honestly, again, perfected maybe from, from Roots and then for something like uh, Stranger Things, perfected by actual authentic material from really most quirky kind of 80s movies just just rehashing a formula without any real uh, ingenuity and then and then just being like oh well it makes you feel a certain way so that that's more of what we're going to give you more of those more of those nostalgic dopamine hits and i, I will uh, say the whole like black uh trauma genre of horror has become like the principal money maker for horror as a genre at this point like that that seems to be overwhelming everything and i have seen a lot of people uh, uh uh from twitter like black people who are not okay with that who have uh voiced their concerns about That's... that which i th i think is fairly reasonable you know if if i mean i don't know how i would feel if something that was like designed for me on paper right was all about just like specific section of history where we were tormented and <laughs> and oh, uh, well, you mean, you mean violated when the, you, you mean when athens fell Lawrence? yes yeah yes yes <laughs> exactly when, when well, uh, we're going through their their strife in in 600 ad yes or the greek that's holocaust the, that's, that's <laughs> the one thing that i liked about that reaction that 
black people have had to this is that they're actually pushing back and being like, listen, we we don't want to see this. You know, this is not something that we enjoy either. So this is not even for us. Uh, it feels very much like um, uh, Passion of the Christ-ish where you're watching it and this guy is getting beaten and beaten and beaten and 10 minutes go by and you're kind of like, all right. Like, we, we understand that these are evil people that are beating the fuck out of this innocent man, but are we really going to watch, yep, 30 are minutes. Are we really going to watch American Horror up? Story, the George Floyd story on <laughs> FX well, that's this summer? Oh, that's fucking coming. You know that's coming because Ryan Murphy's doing a Jeffrey Dahmer series, so that's that's going to happen in a couple of years. We'll do that in three but, years. But, but that's the thing, like, I, I it's specifically for white women, like you said, because... If I'm the person that feels oppressed for whatever reason in this country and I believe all these things that media is telling me, and then you give me a show where I'm watching it, and not only watching it, but it's graphic, and it goes on for a long time where we're just like, I kind of got the message that this horrible thing happened. I don't need to see 10 minutes of it. Uh, that, I don't know, like the fact that they're reacting in a non-positive way to this makes me feel that maybe this whole horror or traumatic dramas focused on race solely might change soon uh because i want to i want to see what your opinion is after they make maybe they make a new selena movie or maybe a new they have, they, there's there's a series i think on that's Netflix right or they did it they did a mini series there's like a there's a yeah. famous actress there's involved a bunch in that, isn't there okay well maybe a new alien gonzalez oh, the alien gonzalez <laughs> wow do people even pool. remember I that? I didn't give a fuck when he was little. <laughs> like, why would I care now? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch. There's like a bunch of like reggaeton guys that have their own Netflix gritty series. There's a Luis Miguel, who's this pop singer in Mexico that's huge, that he's just known for fucking beautiful women. And they made a whole Netflix series about it. So that's happening. Uh, I think one, one thing that's happening in Latin American thing, American productions a lot is that they grab the um, concept of a soap, which is very popular in Latin America, and then they just added drugs, narcos, and blood. So now every show is about some uh, boss of, of, a, of a cartel thing, it's and they're badass. It's the Breaking Bad Yeah, 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 remake. pretty much. Every, everything is narcos now, like because narcos was so successful. Like Every show now, and my dad watches all of them, it's just... Very dramatic, like a soap, but once in a while people get shot, and once in a while there's like drug things happening. But like that's, I don't know why I got into in the tangent. But well, I, I, you you raised the point that this would eventually fade out, and I, everything fades out. But we're kind of in a we're in a new period, I think, of uh, material being released where they don't have to disclose numbers anymore. They can make up the numbers and then they'll get the money from the investors and they can put out whatever they yeah. want. And that is potentially uh, it could be cultural suicide for us if we just kind of circle this drain over and over and over. And this is all we're inundated with. It kind of feels like it kind of feels like uh, I mean, if we if we fast forward 25, 30 years, are we going to be in the period of time where we're looking at like uh uh, the film era of uh, of Soviet Russia and how there's only like one or two movies that are remembered <laughs> and they were held in a vault for like 15 years and half of them are half the footage was missing it was burnt and then everything else that was like 
government approved is forgotten is just lost it, to to yeah to a lesser extent maybe maybe not that extent Lorez, but that's why i've been saying in recent weeks like online and whatnot and it's it's not the most popular opinion especially with maybe the people like in our facebook group and whatnot that's why me i see somebody like christopher nolan as one of maybe three directors who anybody's going to give a damn about what he did 30 or 40 years from now because because you have a really unfortunate situation now, and I, I obviously threw shade at him the other day because I just do that because I'm a, I'm a bitter man. I'm petty. Uh, you have a paradigm right now which somebody like Nolan doesn't really subscribe to, even though he did the Batman series, where you make uh, an, a, a successful independent film, maybe for a few bucks, and it does well. It gets you the acclaim. And then you instantly get sucked up into the studio system and lose all of your creative autonomy. So somebody I typically cite is somebody like uh, Ryan Coogler, who I think is really very talented. If you watch uh, Creed, a very, very excellent movie. And then he just he goes down the drain into the Disney drain and he seems like he never wants to leave there now. And so he he's going to stay there and do his thing, make his big money. But culturally, he's bankrupt and, and any influence he's going to have going forward is doubtful to me. But then somebody else I made fun of. Uh, the other day was uh, Lee Wanell, who is, is is behind uh, the first two Saw movies, which are good. They're good, especially the first one. Um, and then he, he collaborated with James Wan a couple other times, and then he did Upgrade, which isn't the best movie. But I it, watched but, the I, I watched it the other day, and I, I was expecting more just because of how much praise he's gotten for this and for uh, what's the shitty one that uh, Invisible Man. Yeah, right. like, so so uh, I'm, I, I am getting into that. So upgrade, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's not perfect. I had my issues with it, but it was like a two or three million dollar movie, and and for yeah. for a two or three million dollar sci fi movie, it's pretty solid. Yeah, and and so what he did was he took his previous accolades, maybe for the the, the early Saw renditions, and then upgrade, and what he's immediately done since then has just pivoted to be oh, I, like I'm the anti Jordan Peele now, so. Jordan Peele is repackaging movies and giving it that social uh, paradigm aspect that, that's really focused on the African-American point of view. Lee one is just doing the same thing, but it's not through a racial point of view. It, he, he did The Invisible Man, which I don't think anybody with a brain liked. Um, and then he's he's attached to direct an Escape from New York remake, which I really Wolfman hope never too. happens. You know, Me but too. now... Yeah, He's now he's doing yeah Wolfman he, Wolfman he's absolutely doing and that that seems to be all these guys care about so somebody like Christopher Nolan who sure he he's the big premier Warner director except now I think he he's leaving Warner Brothers but everything he does besides the Batman movies which were actually really innovative for their time um, has been proprietary to what he likes to do not everybody loves it he loves to experiment with. with with these giant concepts that sometimes get convoluted and they uh, they jar a lot of people. Like me, I, I actually like uh, Tenet quite a bit. I know some people didn't like it, but he's the only kind of guy that's going to garner any conversation 30 years from now because of where we are in terms of what's deemed to be like culturally acceptable or or what what's deemed to be the normal output from somebody who, who can who can get consistent work they all seem to sell out except for was there actors. was there any actors attached to uh i think we talked about this when i was up in boston didn't i didn't we uh 
what if they recasted Escape from New York? And I think we agreed that you can't. You can't. So what, what they were talking about was, and it, and it just came out, people were maybe stumping for Wyatt Russell to replace his dad. And, and Lee Wanell was like, oh, I think that'd be great for the fans. Like, let's do it, mate. And and Wyatt <laughs> Russell was like, go to hell. I'm not yeah. that eat me. <laughs> no. Why you want all of my... Wyatt Russell carrying on the bloodline exactly. respectively. Dude, he knows that his dad has a fan base that are animals <laughs> because of how many cult movies he's in. So and he imagine that. that he could he, never like be that character and like even trying immediately even before anyone watched the movie would be like, "Who the fuck do you think you are?" Immediately. No, but imagine that. Yeah, you're 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 same thing with like uh, John David Washington, who I think is actually a decent uh, decent actor. Imagine you're in the shadow of of your your dad, who is just categorized as this prolific talent of their era. Like somebody oh, that's like his son. Yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, I, um, so somebody like Kurt Russell, who's been in the business for sixty years and has essentially done everything you can do, and he's done it like excellently every time. And then you have somebody like Denzel Washington, who. He's kind of been on autopilot since Man on Fire, but he he doesn't need to do anything else because he's already got a great body of work. And you're their son, and people are like, oh, yeah, do, do a remake of Training Day and play your dad. And it's like, yeah. really? <laughs> that's that's what I should do in order to maintain a career that that is is totally outside of my dad's shadow. That's, I mean, if you're, I think if you're clueless, if you have a huge ego and you're clueless about your career, you would do it. But this is a guy that that had to delete his Instagram because people were uh, abusing him because his because character Captain in America. Captain America and Falcon was mean. Yeah. So, <laughs> so people went on his Instagram and gave him shit because of the character he played was mean, and now he's not in social media anymore. So maybe he's, yeah, I mean, it's the right move, definitely. I don't understand why there's this uh, idea that remaking movies where the character is so iconic would work in any way. Because movies like like Escape from the Earth, for example, like when they came out, this these were not movies that made $200 billion. These were movies that were not enjoyed by a worldwide audience that liked them right away. These no. were movies that with, within the years people started appreciating them more than when they came out and became a cult thing because audiences grew into liking them or like their taste grew into liking them. But it was not a success expecting that to happen with just a remake with, Hey, the, here's some iconography that you'll recognize if you like the thing, but nothing about the, the process of making that movie successful goes into this one. It never works. And it I'll also say, fun. To what you're you're talking about right now, also not related to this particular subject, the idea of movies being discovered down the road and garnering a second life through word of mouth is not something that happens anymore, except, except Batman vs Superman. Batman vs Superman. <laughs> people have a higher opinion of that now than they did back when that came out, where it was critically panned. That's the only movie I can think of where people right, have warmed to it. 
you have a rabid fan base of autistic people. I'm not. I'm, I don't, I'm not talking about them because they'll they'll, <laughs> just... they'll go with it yeah. no matter what. And I might be one of those yeah. people. I don't know. But I've seen people who are like, you know what? I didn't like it at the time, but actually, I rewatched it. Pretty good. It's... I I think even now, I'd have to disagree with that. And usually, I, I come off as like I'm pessimistic really when it comes to that. Of like, mm-hmm. oh, something that came out maybe 2015 or 2016 that seemed to have missed the mark isn't going to age well but dude i'll tell you i think there's a number of films within the last probably five to eight years that maybe i didn't react too kindly to initially that especially in hindsight and in seeing where the seeing where film in general or media in general has gone just just all the stuff they do which, which is just ridiculous it makes you appreciate okay Perfect example. Right now, I got it. Rob Zombie and Eli Roth films. I was never too keen on them. Uh, like Cabin Fever, I thought was cool. I always thought that was a pretty solid flick. But everything aside from that, uh, I was like, eh, Eli Roth, he's he's not a strong writer. He's all for exploitation. And he does he does the same trick, uh, just in, in a different way every time. Same thing with Rob Zombie. Ooh, trailer trash that kill people. Oh, great. But, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in the in the years since I've seen a lot of those films, I've come back around because you see the paradigm that we have. Again, you have somebody like we, Lee Wanell, who I almost instantly lost a ton of respect for. Somebody like uh, Jordan Peele that essentially just griffs in every effort of his and, and makes out like a bandit just rehashing old properties. You see stuff like that, and it makes you come back around and you say, hey, somebody like Rob Zombie, his movies aren't good per a, you know whatever metrics you want to use or somebody like Eli Roth he's he's a little bit of a one trick pony but then you just hear these directors sit down and talk about their films and talk about their influences and and have a real command of the subject matter and it makes you analyze these films differently to the point where something like uh say the green inferno from Eli Roth I had no interest in because I'm like oh he's just doing cannibal holocaust and it's going to be a bunch of dumb young adults now i'd be overjoyed to watch that movie because it's i mean it is that but it's good yeah yeah <laughs> it, is well, it, it is but he 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 at least like admits it he knows what it is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. That, that's the exact thing that somebody like me can respect and say that not all films of today aren't going to be able to get a shelf life and actually i might even take this a, a, the complete other direction and say Maybe tons of films from the last five plus years are going to pan out and be and be revered in comparison to what the you have to think, you know, dude, you have to think of it from the standpoint. What what is being marketed to us as a good movie these days? And we've just crapped on every every one of those uh, marketably safe movies, whatever stupid grift they want to make. That's what the business is right now. But the ones that don't. Like, again, another one, because um, we brought him up already in this podcast, uh, Adam Wingard. Uh, I, I like a number of his films, actually. Um, and I watched just a few weeks ago uh, The Guest, which isn't a fantastic movie, but it's certainly certainly fun. It's fine. It, it's yeah. fun. And, and it, it's, it's a cheap $5 million movie that didn't make a lot in the box office. I, th- I think it hardly broke even. But um, that's a movie so, I, I'm apprehensive about revisiting because I really enjoyed it when it came out in 2013 or 2014. Maybe it was 2015. 
uh, before we got oversaturated with neon and, and nostalgia for yeah. 80s horror, where it was kind of like an obscure thing that he had the Halloween three masks in the gymnasium uh, when you have Dan Stevens walking around hunting uh, mm. his victims. And now that would be uh, perceived differently, I think, if somebody were to go into that with a fresh well, pair of eyes and not having seen it previously. Well, well, exactly. And that, that's my point. Or even something like uh, your next, which I posted about recently in the Facebook group, which I did say that, see that in the theaters. And I was like, Hey, that was a solid flick. I had some minor issues it's with great. it. It's like great, the, yeah. uh, just some of the characters, like the dialogue and whatnot. I was like, eh, but uh, again, again, the hindsight, I'm like, dude, this is like a perfect movie made for, made for a million bucks back in 2011 released theatrically in 2013 and makes about 25 million bucks. It's, it's the perfect movie in a sense, because it's that one that it's small scale, um, relatively modest box office return, but massively successful because of the, the low bar for, for budgeting. And then just the exploitative turn and everything. And it's something, it's a movie that nobody in casual conversation is going to bring up. You have to be us to talk about it, but 15, 20 years from now, that might be on AMC every October. So I think there's, I think there might even be more so of a paradigm for these films that have maybe slipped through the cracks to be rediscovered because we're being so saturated with giant studio corporate films, superhero movies, and, uh, and, and these, in these guilt films in in these exploitative, just sap films and properties that just want to prey on, social unrest that that's all that's all there is right now so i i think horror probably belongs in its own category because i i completely agree with you i think a lot of the films uh in that genre that arrived specifically between i would say 2010 and 2015 you have some really good movies in there um that you know maybe some of them feel like tribute films like i i do feel like eli roth and rob zombie do get into that territory uh, with their movies, but every time you do check those movies out, they still feel like their own thing. They don't feel like they're mm-hmm. trying to caught. Even if he took the title for Green Inferno from Cannibal Holocaust or Rob Zombie is obviously borrowing a hell of a lot from Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, um, they still feel like their own films because these guys are auteurs and they they think about every single aspect of what it is they're doing uh, in regards to the product that they're making. Whereas I think nowadays you have a lot of these filmmakers who are concerned about, well, what is the impact of my movie going to be rather than yeah. what is the what is the style of this going to be to the audience? What do I want to do with this? It's more how can I affect some sort of change or idea that I can promenade within that that group of people that are going to be watching this? I think that's the the primary difference. You 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 take a look at the Eli Roth, Rob Zombie, and Adam Winger types, and they just kind of want their audience to have fun with it. They know exactly who they have in mind. Like their demographic is the person that exists in 1995 that's going to the video store and checking out probably like D grade horror films just to find something new. Um, and that's who they're making their movies for and marketing them to. And I don't think that is the case anymore. Well, you think you, you think more so maybe with traditional films that aren't as heavy on genre. Is, is that what you're getting at? Like just stuff that's maybe good, but it, it doesn't touch wow. into any any of again what, what's marketable now. So you think they're just going to fade away? Let's say something like, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, 
Warrior from 2011 with oh, Joel Edgerton and, I haven't and, even thought of and Warrior, Tom Hardy. So, it's a good one, though. It's a good one. It, it might be good. It might, I, I don't know. I haven't watched that since it probably came out, but I can give you a number. <laughs> I mean, when there was a Twitter image that was going around, like, you can only save three best picture winners from the past 40 years. And I look at the image, and I'm like, I'm struggling to come up with three. You know, I, I, yeah. I put The Departed in there, which is not like an exceptional movie. It's a fun movie. And I have yeah, like sentiment toward it because Boston or whatever. And there's not really yeah. like uh, uh, a big cartoonish cultural movie like that. Otherwise, maybe Goodwill Hunting. Um, but <laughs> I mean, really, there's there's not that many winners in there that are worth hanging on to. Like uh, even even Parasite from 2019. I thought 2019 was a great year for, for movies in general, and Parasite was a good movie. I got the 4K special edition of Parasite. And I'm like, this 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 is fine, but it's not like, it's not something I, I would probably own if it wasn't, you know, going to be on eBay for $400 immediately after. I think that the thing that I disagree with, with you guys on a little bit uh, is that uh, at least the, the examples that you guys used with the Rob Zombie and this other guy? Uh, this Eli other Roth, guy. Uh, what are you trying to slight Eli Roth? This, you don't even want to say Eli guy. Roth's name. That <laughs> both, both Massachusetts Eli, natives, by the way. Yeah, this Eli, so Eli company. Uh, uh, is that uh, at least the the properties that they they had? Uh, you know, uh, Michael Myers is an icon. It didn't start as an icon uh, when the fir- movie first came out. The mask or the presence wasn't an icon, and it became an icon within the year. So when the Halloween movies came out, it was more about the mask and the knife than actually Michael Myers. I don't think many many people that, uh, when that was announced, thought, oh, shit, uh, Michael Myers and then his sister that kills two. And, like, you know, not everyone is familiar with the entire franchise. It's just the... The music and the knife and the mask. So creating something like that, and especially if you hire an auteur, like you say, uh, in, in Rob Zombie, you know he's going to make something interesting with it where he's not just going to rip off everything from the original. So it's interesting to watch. When you have something like Escape from New York with Lee Wonell, Escape from New York, it's such a cult movie. It's such a specific movie for a specific type of person that enjoys that type of movie made by a specific director that doesn't make movies for everyone which is why it works if you try to grab that concept and give it to a director that has not shown that he has anything original to say by himself and i I hate saying shit like this because like who the fuck am i but if you watch (laughs) if you look at lee wanell's uh filmography like there's not many things that you recognize from his movies that that immediately you say, oh, that's a Lee Wanell movie. So when you grab as a, a franchise that's so specific for both the time, the audience, and the director, like Escape from New York, and you give it to a guy that's such an X, like he's such a whatever, that's when it bothers me because it's just like you're you're taking everything away from that franchise and just giving it the minimum effort of just. Hey, here's the name, and hey, it's the guy with a patch, and he wears no sleeves, and that's all you need. And this new movie is just going to be that. So everything that this movie built for the, what, 30, 40 years that it's been released, uh, this movie doesn't have it. So you're not able to grab whatever, grab the fans that are still fans of the movie with this new thing that's just hollow. It's just a property that's recognizable because of the name. Uh, I was going to mention the the uh, Toxic Avenger one. 
that they're also remaking, which that to Megan me is Blair is doing. Yeah, yeah, Megan yeah. Blair, he's doing. Um, that one, I, uh, I have a little bit more hope because I know that Megan Blair has not fallen into the system. The the system. Uh, I don't know if this trauma movie is going to even be directed by the system since it's, you know, a trauma property. But the fact that he's involved in it gives me a little bit of more hope, just because I know that he's a really good director. Uh, I don't know about the tone of the movie. Uh, because everything he's done is pretty serious, right? Like the at least the ones that I've seen are pretty serious. So that's kind of like a weird, mm-hmm. but it sounds interesting at least. Lee Wanell's um, Escape from New York, I can't even imagine what that would look like, and that bothers me as a fan of that. I franchise. think I think it would be a huge pander, and just just the fact of him actually stumping or entertaining the idea of casting Wyatt Russell, I I think it says exactly what you would need to know about him making it, which now he's probably not even just going to make it anymore. I, th- I think he, he he's all in on his Ryan Gosling, the Wolfman rendition, which I'll take the slightly dull Benicio del Toro version that Joe Johnston did because the makeup the was effects, amazing. Yeah. 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 They did very you don't well. want to see a handsome, you know, want to see I, handsome I, Wolfman, handsome quirky <laughs> Wolfman. <laughs> Lon <laughs> Chaney was a doughy little guy. They should have cast yeah. like, Jason Alexander as the Wolfman. <laughs> Paul Giamatti needs work. What, what, they couldn't get him. Oh, he's going yeah. to be in that Spider-Man movie, I'm sure. Right? The robot, robot. Can I bring uh, back the Rhino. Sure, why not? <laughs> so why not? maybe there is something to be said about the viability of real hefty genre films thirty years from now, or however many years from now. But I guess if you lean back toward traditional genres that, that that again aren't as maybe exploitative as something anything zombie or roth would make i maybe there's something to be said there but it's just tough to think because you think of well what movies that don't lean too heavily into into any genres whether it's like sci-fi or horror whatever it is which ones that don't do that are, are living on besides say things like rocky or something something that's really culturally transgressive like that because we don't get many of those anymore it's it's tough to say um which by the way to to measure how transgressive a film like rocky was if rocky came out today it would be made it would have been made for less than four million dollars and it would have made over a billion dollars in the box office wow which you show me a four million dollar movie today that makes a billion and uh i'll show you jerry waking up on time (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We should, we should watch the Italian Stallion on Civic TV. Oh, hell yeah. Which, which that one Twitch. was originally titled like The Party at Kitty and Studs or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. they renamed it after Rocky and they're like, ooh. It was just him working out. It's just a bunch <laughs> of him just working out and then a scene where you can see his balls and then he's again working out. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually in Woody Allen films before that, too. Hmm. He, he, oh, yeah, he? you. Yeah, he was in. I forget the name of the film. Uh, you can you can look it up. He plays this kind of brute on a train that Woody Allen is hoodwinking and and messing with, and he, he all sorts of hijinks. Oh yeah, it's very. Yeah, you see like a twenty six year old Stallone looking morbid and sad. And I love twenty six. I'm, I'm intrigued with the, the fact that uh, you know he's he's going to be abandoning the Creed franchise. He's not in on Creed three. He I guess he doesn't like the direction that that's heading in. And uh, instead, he decided to write and get this greenlit a Rocky prequel, where I can only really? assume he's going to be de-aged. Yeah, 
That's man. Uh, well, they did kind of they ham fisted Creed too, and I really thought they 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 swung and missed big time on what could have been a a better film. Instead, they just pandered to the audience and said, "Ooh, we're gonna bring back Dolph Lundgren and Bridget Nielsen. She's gonna look like a leather shoe now." Uh, and what they did that? Yeah, I they never did that. It was Rocky Four Part Two. They yeah. they did oh. the they did the same thing they do with any sequel. Which is yeah. just like retread everything from before, it, and and the, the actors all did a great job. It's just that the story is, uh, they 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 cartoonized it. They shouldn't have done that. I, agree. It, I I don't even think it's a bad movie. I just think it was a wasted opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. It, like the direction isn't too bad. The acting is good, but it, it's just yeah, it just feels too ham fisted. So a, a Rocky prequel sounds beyond. What's he going to be doing? Breaking legs for Joe Spinell again. Joe Spinell, star of bring Maniac. back Joe Spinell. Oh, Jason. Bring him back. Can we, can we just get... Star of... Ma- that was amazing when I, I was like, wait a minute. That Joe Spinell, he's Gazzo and Rocky, and he, he's in The Godfather. This dude, talk about a prolific career. Oh, uh, him and you, who was you... it? John Cazales both have like very short... But like you said, prolific careers where they go from like the 1970s to the I don't even think uh, Cazales made it to the 80s, but they both wiped out uh, prematurely, unfortunately. Did you guys uh, watch Rambo Last Blood that came no. out? I did. It's it's actually I mean, hey, if you know awesome. what you're getting into, it's <laughs> yeah. great. It's great. Is that um, the newest one? He's, yeah. Yeah. The 2019, the last one, I think. Uh, there's a movie called Little America that he's uh, acting in, apparently. Uh, it says, um, in a dystopian future where China owns America, a former American force, what the fuck? A former American force recon member is hired by a Chinese billionaire to go to an American ghetto and find his daughter. That's too funny. You know, <laughs> you know, you know what else is funny about Stallone? Uh, there, there was a very, very uh, muted. Twitter campaign to cancel him because he just recently became a member at Mar-a-Lago Golf Course. <laughs> so yeah, I saw that. The, the, the fact that he's uh, doing that and then making he's uh, fucking seventy four, making <laughs> making Rambo movies where he's fighting the Mexican cartel, uh, smuggling people, and now him taking on a Chinese nationalist billionaire. He's he's uh, he's making a very particular type of movie, and I think it's awesome. He was getting what's uh, he was getting grilled because he wouldn't pull out of Georgia as well, right? He's got some movie that's that's being made in Georgia, and The Rock, or not The Rock, uh, Will Smith pulled out of uh, production yeah. on something, and he did not. So it coincided it coincided with that and him joining Mar Largo, and people were like, it was just an ill fated campaign to get him I'm, removed from Hollywood. I'm sorry, he's se- he's seventy, he's Rambo at seventy two. What are you gonna do to him? Like what are you gonna? Were you gonna cancel him now that he's seventy four? Oh no! The, yeah, it's what? like it's the the dude effectively canceled himself. He's like, I I won best picture at thirty years old. I don't need to do anything else now. I can do and and so he did. He did whatever the hell he wanted for the next forty years, and it's like now he's just this boomer bastion of of like Americanism for some good reasons and some bad reasons. And it's like, what are you gonna do this? Too little, too late. You, you should have tried. I don't know when the hell did he do something else controversial? When he I mean, when he got his he... face puffed out from plastic <laughs> surgery, and the he made it not he... look like a horse. He hasn't died, and that he also 
looks like an action start ish if you ignore his face at 74 it's so impressive to me because 70 think of a 74 year old actor that's not going to be an action anything no like the movie, think about the irish what's the when movie de niro's kicking a guy with, on the curb <laughs> the movie with tommy lee jones that that i watched uh that i, I told you about Lores, remember haunted i think it's called yeah, or something haunted. where you have like a 50 year old tommy lee jones running after a bus or whatever you just like why would you disrespect the man by making him run like physical activity and this guy's 74 and he's still like a buff rambo so it's just like you can't do anything to him you know he's also been making like his own shit for how long 10 years yeah he's just whatever he been, wants he, 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 he's essentially been kind of autonomous since he did uh rocky balboa in 06 pretty much yeah. since then he he's been doing everything he wants essentially on his own so well nobody else is really going to cast him in anything he's he's not i mean schwarzenegger if anything is the guy for the cheap direct to dvd action films and i know there was a couple of zombie movies that, that he was in as well uh stallone doesn't really get that kind of work and he seems like he has more prestige to him like he actually seems to care about what he shows up in um may, maybe minus that one like escape from supermax prison sci-fi escape film plan? That he did escape plan yeah escape plan minus which, which, minus whatever, that's that's whatever it's it's, it's not it's, bad it's, it's, i mean it's bad but it's fun it's it's, it's exa- it, it is exactly it, what it tells you it is it's nothing yeah. more nothing less it's it's innocuous it's, a you, it's the same thing that he yeah. would be doing in the 90s if he was yeah it's, a, long movie. Yeah, it's right. a cliffhanger it's uh you know was he in cliff- it's, yeah, it's yes, demolition he man yeah it's it's, it's all that <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I I think we've had a a, a pretty spirited discussion on the future. So of anyway, um, do you, what are you, do you, what are you, what are you lonely, Hans? What are you, <laughs> you guys the conversation no, no, this was supposed to be like a show on physical media. Yes, it was. It was supposed not... to be about boutique Blu-ray distributors. <laughs> if you guys, hey, yeah. if we if you want to kill it here and we'll make it a thirty-minute bonus episode, I'm fine with that. But otherwise, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I had nothing to say about that other than I bought two vinyl records in like five years. Uh, so, so we can say about. a little yeah. bit, yeah, maybe know. just for another episode, maybe uh, yeah. like a 30, 45 minute episode. I'm down. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. That, that. That'll be better. All right. That, that's that been movies for this week. Follow Jake on Twitter, the Tologist, and uh, also the Cinematologist movie reviews on Facebook and Hans Memorial on Twitter, uh, where you can see movie Bob harass him and humiliate him. <laughs> humiliate me just emasculate him on on twitter.com all right thank you for listening all right <laughs>